with me now to um, the epistle of John, number one, the first epistle that we looked at last week. And I'm going to read, let's see, I'm going to read part of last week's mess, uh, verses, which begins at chapter 3, verse 19. And today, our thoughts and our attentions are what John wrote to this congregation that he called Beloved. Verses four, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. So let me pray before I begin to read. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us an opportunity to sit under your word and to be able to even read your word publicly. We thank you for the ministry and, and how powerful that is just to be able to hear your words fall upon us. And we pray that as we read these this morning, that you would uh, shower us with blessings, that you would give us hearts that desire uh, you and your word above all tr other truths that contend for our ears and our hearts and our minds in the world. Father, we pray that you would be with us as we participate together in this ministry of worship while the ministry that you give to us by your Spirit, we pray most of all, would be upon us so that we would sense your presence and that you would give us the great pleasure and gift of hearing your voice as we read these words together. So, Lord, may you be glorified. May we realize that these are your words given to us. These are not just idle words, as your servant Moses said, but these are the words of life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'll read verse 19 of chapter 3 to verse 6 of chapter 4. 1 John. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, 
Therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. May God bless, bless the reading of his word this morning. As we have been looking at this book over this last year, uh, just for a few messages that I could bring, we realize that this book is broken up and, and divided really in different tests that uh, John is giving this congregation that has suffered a split and may be still under the stress of that split and because there is uh, some false teachers there. There are people who are not proclaiming the truth. In fact, uh, pulling status and rank and f- making others feel very much less Christian than, than those who are saying that God is speaking directly to them and giving them this direct revelation, which is far better than anything else that you can have. And so John is trying to encourage them by uh, talking to them and giving them some way of measuring and finding some indicators of how uh, they're doing in their faith, and in fact, their believers are not. So from chapter uh, 1 to chapter 3, verse 27, John gives us uh, these three tests. And as uh, we've looked at before, in the, in the very first beginning, in the very chapter, we uh, traverse chapter 1, verses 5, and chapter 2 through verse 6, that's where we see this test of, of obedience, of walking like Jesus, of, of uh, following his commandments. So the f- one test is the, t- the test of, of, uh, of obedience, following the word of God and, and uh, having a passion and a desire to do what God wants us to do because we are his children. That's an indicator. We are God's children because, one, we obey God. And then we, saw, we see in chapter 2, verses 7 through verse 17, we see this test of love, this test of the community of faith, this test where because God loves us, then we love one another. And it does not mean, as I said last week, it's nothing to do about this universal love, this humanitarian love, this kumbaya love. It is a love for one another. It's a love for the church. It's a love for other believers. And I made the case next week that that's very difficult to find out who is a believer unless believers congregate with one another. There is no secret sign. There is no symbol on people's homes. They're not, I mean, some people have a fish on their car or whatever, but uh, there, uh, there isn't any way of knowing down the street who's a believer or not unless they congregate together. And so it's very important that believers, people who are followers of Christ, those who are children of God, as, it's, as the Bible teaches us, and as I read last week, that the people of God gather together to hear God's word, to have community together, to have communion together, to have discipline with one, to one another, to share faith, to share encouragement, to hold each other up, to encourage one another, as the writer of Hebrews tells us, to stir toward, toward, stir, stir toward uh, one another toward good works, and, um, uh, and you know, kind of motivate each other to look like Christ as we live with one another. So that's the test of love. 
We want to be with one another. We want to be a part of a local church. And then we have the, the test of, of doctrine, which really uh, is the one that really is the, the main, the main uh, foundation for all of these tests. Because we have to understand who we believe in before we can obey any of his commandments. And because, before we can show the love that this God has given to us. And so we see in um, uh, verses 7 through 17 this love that God has given to us in this commandment of this is the love that wants, God, God wants us to have in Christ, abiding in the light and uh, abiding with him and abiding in Christ, loving one another. And then in verses 15 through 17, the love that God does not want or God hates is the love of the world. And he keeps on bringing that up and will bring that up again. The world is not the created world, it's not the physical world, it's the world that is in opposition of God. And remember again, this, uh, the belief is, is that there's this, this false teaching going on, something which is called a, a pre-Gnosticism, which believes that, you know, that uh, material is evil and uh, that it's, it's not worth our time or our effort or any kind of attention to it whatsoever. What is most important is is the mysterious, the spiritual, this, with them, this secret revelation that God is giving to them. So they don't care about one, they don't even care about the love of each other. They certainly don't care of how they live their lives being obedient because what difference does it make what I do with any of this stuff or what, what I do with you or anything? It just doesn't make any difference. It's because this, the spiritual realm, the heavenly realm, that's, that's whatever that may mean, that's what's more important to them. And uh, certainly, uh, you, as the doctrine now, as he talks about in verses 18 through verse 27, is the warning of concerning Antichrist. And I'll read that to you. It says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour, and they went out from us, and they were not of us. For if they had been from us, they would have continued to be with us. They would have continued to be in the doctrine of, of the church, to be in love with the teachings of Christ, the teachings of Scripture. They would desire to be obedient as a desire to please God with being obedient children and also showing the world of their devotion to this, to God himself. And then also desiring to be in a community where each other commits themselves to each other to hold each other up, to be accountable for each other, to be a community of faith where we can come and we promise to be here for each other as we serve Christ here. And so that's what he says here. These people were not with us and they did not continue with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are not all with us. They are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you, are, and you all have knowledge. That means we have all become little Christs. Not that we are Christ, but that now we are Christians out in the world living the life that Jesus uh, lived for us or tried to live that life of perfect obedience. And, and we know that this book tells us that that's the standard 
But God knows that you aren't going to be able to, so that's why we can pray, and that's why we can confess, and that's why we, we understand what confession is, and repentance is, and mercy is, and grace is, because we understand who God is, and His holiness, and we understand the perfection of Christ, and we understand the great lengths of showing His love to us by giving His life for us. So, as the doctrine teaches us, sound doctrine is this is that Jesus had to be fully God to forgive us for our sins, and he had to be fully man so that God would be able to see the sacrifice and the shed blood and the giving of one life, a perfect life, for the forgiveness of all of his children's sins, once and for all. Not an act to be performed over and over and over again. And then he says this, he goes, I write to you not because you don't know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? Remember, John is very bold and really wants stark contrast. He wants them to understand, he wants to give them full assurance that it's all or nothing. It's black or white. It's dark or light. You're dead or you're alive. You're telling the truth or you're a liar. And this is what he says here, who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. And these false teachers are denying that Jesus is the Messiah. This is the Antichrist who denies that the Father, he denies both the Father and the Son. He denies that Jesus came from the Father, that he is fully God, and that he came in the flesh. Because again, why would these uh, pro-Gnostics or these people before Gnosticism became full-blown, why would they want to believe in a holy, pure spirit of God, spiritual God ever take on evil flesh? So to them, that was just, just an unbelievable thing to, to have any doctrine in. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you, those who are trying to deceive you, about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, not meaning, again, that you don't need teachers, but meaning that no, you don't need anybody to come to you and say, wow, I have found the secret of life. I have found a higher spiritual awareness. It is amazing. He's saying you, don't have no, you have no reason for anybody to teach you. You've already heard it from the beginning. You've been taught. But, has, but ha, as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So at that time we looked at, that there is going to be an antichrist coming, the man of lawlessness coming at some time, we don't know when. And Paul writes to us in, in Thessalonians about this man of lawlessness, this antichrist. But he is saying, don't worry about the antichrist. What you need to worry about is that there are many antichrists. There are anointed antichrists. There are little antichrists out there now, right now. There are people spreading lies and heresies. And they are trying to deceive you because they're working really for their father, the devil. They're really 
It's, remember, we talked about that last week about Genesis 3. It's that battle between the, the offspring of the woman and the offspring of the serpent. And we saw right at last week from Genesis 4 that right, right Cain could not stand that righteousness of, of Abel and hated him and killed him because he was trying to snuff out that light that God is going to bring to the world. But he did not. He could not because, as we saw, after the fall, God's story of redemption talks about how he has set aside and sanctified and chosen a group of people for himself, which ultimately leads up to who Jesus is, the ultimate, the ultimate offspring of the woman, who will then ultimately defeat the serpent, the offspring of the serpent and the serpent himself. And so he is saying, don't get focused on when that person comes, when the Antichrist comes, but realize that you're in a war right now and there's a battle going on. It's within your midst. You've heard about it and it's all around us. And this is the way it's going to be until the Lord returns. And so at that time, I read to you some beliefs of what Mormons believe and what Jehovah Witnesses believe about who Jesus is and the Unification Church and uh, the um, uh, other religions that I read off of this pamphlet, which is interestingly called Spirit of Error and the Spirit of Truth. And that's what we talk about here. He talks about today in the passage about it's either about error or truth. You either have the spirit of error, truth or you have the spirit of error in you. And that's going to certainly show who you are. And where, what side do you fall upon? So um, we realize by in our day and age right now, we have those antichrists all around us who are espousing to and teaching, knocking on our doors and handing out pamphlets and going around the world, very strongly missionaries, going to place to place. You know, as you understand, you know, the... The head of the Mormons there is, has this direct revelation from God, and so the teaching of the Mormon church changes. You know, there was a time in Mormon churches when they did nothing, they had nothing, they wanted nothing to do with people of another color because it was certainly, they believed, the curse of, of uh, the mark of, of Cain, and so uh, people of, of different color were not to do, be anything. They were cursed by God. So what did they do? They actually tried to give them blood transfusion to take the blackness or the darkness out of their skin. And now all of a sudden, the head of the Mormon church gets a, 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 a calling from God. They want to be missionaries now. They need money, of course, and they need to go to other, other islands and other countries and not be in America or white-skinned people anymore. So now the revelation is all that's going apart. All that's going away. We don't need to worry about that teaching anymore about darkness. It's all been taken away, so now they become missionaries to these other countries. So you see there's this moving target of revelation from God, and so we realize that Again, they're called the God-makers, correct? That's what they believe, that ultimately, you know, Adam and Eve, uh, the God, the, God, the Spirit Mother, and God, the Spirit Father, got together and had spirit children, so you have all kinds of children, and one day, all Mormons are going to become God and get their own planets and be able to do all this stuff. And again, I'm not trying to bash it, I'm just telling you, this is, you know, this is certainly nothing that we find in our Bibles. Though they will quote Scripture, just like the Jehovah's Witnesses will do, 
and Unification Church and other religions that will be around you. The Baha'i faith, what does the Baha'i faith believe? It believes that there are many manifestations, so who cares? Pick one. So we are living in this time in a very much different time than them because, you know, the communications and the way that news traveled was by feet. People walked. They were itinerary missionaries and they were preachers and prophets and would speak in places, but, you know, they didn't have this. And they didn't have telephones and they didn't have TV and, you know, and all kinds of technology and everything now is just, we're just bombarded by it all. And it goes out so quickly and the competition is so great. And evil and, and heresy and error can spread and just proliferate so quickly that we need to be aware of what it all means. And how do we defend against it? And do we understand what we believe in when somebody knocks on our door and wants to talk about the kingdom of God? And wow, it sounds great to me, doesn't it? I'm a believer. Sure, come on in. Let's talk. Oh, let me read your stuff. Let me read your material. Oh, they're, you know, they're just, Mormons are just such ethical people. They've just got such a great diet. They just watch their bodies. They just love children. And, well, you know, and they, they'll quote scripture, but they have the Book of Mormon and the Pearl of Great Price. And they have other books that teach all these other doctrines. So the spirit of Antichrist is, is around us. We're, we're in this, this world where he says, don't be worrying about that Antichrist. But what do I want you to do? I want you to realize that they're around you and understand and be assured that you have been told something from the very beginning. Now, last week we looked at this. Uh, we started off on the uh, chapter 3, verse 11, based upon what we learned about the uh, obedience in uh, uh, chapter, beginning of chapter 3, talking about obedience. And then last week, verse 11, we studied and we looked at the, the message of loving one another. So what John is doing now, he lays out the very first, the three uh, tests in that beginning uh, chapters and now elaborates on them. And he does that right till the very end in chapter 5. So he brings them up again and again, all three tests. And what we're going to see is that toward the end, he actually lumps them all together. And he even brings it up again together today as well. And I wanted to just go over just real quickly from what we looked at last week. Because when, um, before we move on to this uh, spirit of error and truth and, and testing the spirits, is that this is a, you know, a difficult passage, verses 19 through 24. By this we shall know we are the truth and reassure our hearts uh, before him. And I, the, the perspective I brought last week, which is, I'm not backpedaling on or anything, I still think is very strong, is the fact that when, and I read that, that uh, comment from that one uh, pastor who said that he doesn't know he believes in Christianity anymore because the churches that he had been involved in and just, you know, everything was breaking apart and churches were so dissected and, and so there was so, so much uh, anger and, and, and so much violence in these churches and, and that, you know, there was just so tired of conflict and, and of breaking up and arguments in churches, he wondered if Christianity was even a real thing anymore. And as I mentioned and I read to you last week from Hebrews chapter 10, the, the answer is, he says, you know, 
We, we need to continue to meet one another. We don't forsake the congregation. We don't forsake the assembly together. As he says, we don't turn our back. And he says, if we do, it could be, look to the world, that we don't care about the church. And if we don't care about the church, it's not a good thing. So if it's not a good thing, it's a bad thing. And if it's a bad thing, it's from the devil. And if it's a good thing, it's from the Lord. And that's what he talked about, saying that we need to be careful that, when we, that we need to associate ourselves and find ourselves in a body of believers because that's where God wants us to be. He wants us to be with one another. He wants us to be committed to one place where you know the teaching is sound, where you know that the shepherds care, where you know that you're going to feel the love from one another and that everybody has your back. And this is the place where you can come to find healing to find strength, to find encouragement. But I also want to take this to a personal level because I believe that's very important as well. He says, By this we know, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him, verse 19. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. And so, we, I, I, really, I think the, one of the more uh, uh, applicable things that we can talk about is that I, I was thinking about myself and I just don't like tests. I, 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 you know, some people, my son Philip, who tutors, just loves the competition. He just loves to look at tests. And I don't know who his father is, but I just, I just look at him going, you like tests. He just loves to see how he can beat them. And I want to be a million miles away from him. A million miles away. When I had to take state tests to you know, go and promote, and they were the most idiotic tests in the world, they just never meant anything. They were just no relevance to anything. I'm going here going, for three hours taking this test, and I wanted to kill. I hated it so much. And then when I was in school, I don't like exams either. I mean, I just wanted to get through. I wanted to get a good grade. I didn't really learn everything until I got out of school. I mean, when I went to seminary, I got a whole bunch of books, and I, I learned some great concepts. I learned how to study. I learned some framework of, of theology. But boy, it's, it's when you do the work outside of that classroom, and you learn how to study, and you're given the lenses, that's where you learn. And so, boy, when a teacher used to say, okay, take everything off your desk. <laughs> right? Let's get a new teacher. Where's the sub? Down the hall? Oh, please. What are these? What do you get? You get, you get happiness out of a pop quiz? What is this? So, uh, I don't like tests. And, and so, so, what we're having here are tests, right? He's given us three tests, three examinations, three ways of testing who we are. And, you know, at times when we review these things, we may become... A little discouraged, right? We may be discouraged when we're called to one another, love one another, love one another. Well, let me, let me read something to you. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable nor resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Now, does that not convict you? Does that not discourage you and say, wow, how far from that am I? 
Or sometimes do you not doubt Christianity? Do you really wonder if it's all real? Do you really wonder why you're so immersed in this book? And I stand up here and saying, dude, is this really true? People are, I'm standing up here and I'm teaching this stuff. Is this really true? Does this really make a difference? No, you go through those things, thoughts in your life. You wonder, does it all make a difference? What difference does it make? Does it really, in the end, if I end up going through the same door as everybody else, who cares? If I do end up like in Ecclesiastes, I find a dog dead, they bury him, and that's where I end up? What difference does it make? Or who cares if I'm obedient? Right? What difference does it make? Everybody else is, these people aren't obedient, doing what they want to do, and they look like they're having fun. They look like they're enjoying life. What am I, why am I doing this stuff? And then if I'm going to be obedient, boy, Lord, if Jesus is the standard, and if I know that here I am, I've been a Christian for how many years, and I've been a pastor for how many years, thinking that I should have made some headway, and then you look at yourself in the mirror and you realize that, oh, you poor, pathetical, pathetic slob, you're terrible. You, you call yourself a Christian? Have you ever thought about that yourselves? Have you ever wondered if you're a believer? Because I don't, I don't, I sin. Look at my life. I don't read my Bible. I don't pray like I should. I mean, you see how you can become so discouraged from these exams. And that's where I'm thinking he comes from. He goes, listen, these aren't meant to discourage you. These are meant to encourage you. Because, you know, I've had people come up to me and say, Pastor, I've committed the unforgivable sin. And I start laughing inside because I know they're serious when they come to me. But I'm laughing inside. You know why I'm laughing? Because I'm saying, if they, it's a wonderful thing that they even care that they did. If they weren't a believer, they could give two rips that they've ever sinned against the Holy Spirit or against God. If you don't care, if you care about your sinning, isn't that a good thing? Isn't that great? Because it it's saying that something is going on in your life. You now have a standard that's outside of yourself that is lifting up higher than you ever had in your life, and that's good. And that's what he's saying here. Or that you have a belief in something that you doesn't make any sense from an earth-being perspective about a God, be, I mean, Jesus being perfectly God and perfectly man. Or can you believe in the Trinity? I mean, and, and, you know, I mean, those things are like mind-boggling. I mean, the Bible teaches them, and we believe in them, but, you know, that, that's difficult stuff. I mean, do we get it? Well, we don't, but you know what? We care about it because there's a pulse within us that didn't exist until the Holy Spirit came and breathed life into us and gave us a new life from above. And that's what he is saying, saying here. He says, if your heart condemns you, don't worry about it because God already knows who you are. God can't love you any more than he loves you right now. So regardless of your feelings, and you've heard me say this to you, I, you know, you've known me for, since 2013. If you went by your emotions, like I said, if I went by my emotions, I would have quit school in the third grade, right? <laughs> who wants? Get out of this place. What, what do I want to go to school for? This is stupid. I'd rather be fishing or riding my bike or doing something. But it's cool. So he is saying here, he goes, God knows. I mean, God knows everything about you. He knows more about you than you do. That's amazing. And he still loves you. Isn't that stinking amazing? 
Isn't that just unbelievable that he knows today how you are going to sin? He knows it. And he even allows it. Can you believe that? And yet, he says, I love you. You are my children. Look at the cross. Look at how much I love you. I give my son for you. Jesus opened his arms and died for you and me. He says, God is greater. So don't, you know, sometimes it's good. You know, guilt is a good thing. You know, I mean, you don't have to be an Italian and Roman Catholic to have guilt. You can have guilt. But sometimes there's false guilt. And there's a sense of beating ourselves up so badly that Satan is already going, exactly, I don't even need to do anything. They're just beating themselves up. And that's where I'm thinking. He looks at here and he just, he's saying, you know, God is greater than anything. He's greater than you. He knows everything about you. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And sometimes our hearts deceive us. And sometimes our emotions deceive us. And the, the reality of what we think is going on and how we feel, you and I know that we have really misread people or situations when our emotions take over and we realize later on that we blew it. And this is what he's saying here. He says, Beloved, if your heart doesn't condemn you, we have confidence with God. Why? Because we look to the cross. We realize the gospel. That's what he is saying here. And so whenever we ask and we receive from him because we keep his commandments, it's not, oh, Jimmy, I'm going to give you some more good things this week. I'm going to answer your prayers in every way you want because you've been such a good little boy. Right? Because what would that be? You know, stick your thumb in a, you know, pump, in a pie and pull out a thumb and then say, what a good boy am I? Right? I mean, that's, that's what it's all about. What a good boy am I? We never get to that point. We go to understanding that Jesus is the one. He is the ultimate man. He is the ultimate one human being that lived for us. He is the standard and he is the ultimate sacrifice. It is because of him God loves us. That's why he can't love us anymore. Because he can't love his son anymore. And then he says, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know, again, this play on words of knowing because those who are Gnostics, even the word from know is, is, is gnosis, is, is in Gnosticism is the word about knowledge to know. And so they think they're in to know. And again, God, John is writing to me. He says, no, no, they don't know. But you know. You know that he abides in us by the spirit he's given us. And then he says, as we go on to verse, four, chap, verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, beloved, do not be gullible. That's what he is saying here. And it's a commandment. It's an imperative here. Do not be gullible. Just because you hear a spirit, and notice it's in small lowercase here, and he's not talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about every spirit, and every spirit is everyone who is speaking like a false prophet, as he says here, because there are many false prophets. So he is not talking about the Casper ghosts out there, if anybody old enough remember Casper. He's not talking about a phantom. He's not talking about the spiritual realm that we can't see. He's talking about those who are speaking, those who are talking, those who are teaching, those who are saying things in a spiritual nature. 
And you know what? That's a cool thing nowadays, right? You can be spiritual and be cool. Right? Spirituality's cool. You can sit around and go to a bar and talk about spirituality with everybody, and you're the coolest person in the world. And if you can talk about spirituality on so many levels, you're the coolest guy. I love being around me. This guy knows me. But don't talk about fundamentalism, or don't talk about the fundamentals of the faith. Don't talk about the Bible, because that's not spiritual. You know, spirit, spirituality is, I heard D.A. Carson say, when spirituality, everybody class for the fundamentals of the faith, people hiss at. They just, that's just a no place to go. You don't go there. That's not cool. But everybody loves spirituality, right? Everybody talks about it. It's cool. It's just a great thing. And, oh, yeah, I feel one with nature. And I just feel one with you. And I feel one with the universe. Right? Cool, man. I dig it. Let's have another hit. You know, I mean, it's just what you can, it's just what it's all about. I mean, it's just a tremendous world we live in that is so full of so many religions and so many philosophies and so many people on PBS telling you how, how you can self-actualize yourself and how you can be the person that you imprint in your mind to be. And that's the competition. That's the antichrist that we have. That's what he is saying here. That's who we are battling against. And so he says, do not be gullible, but every time some spirit or some prophet or some teacher opens their mouth, he says, another command, another imperative. He says, test them, approve them, see what they're made of, see what they're doing, see what they're saying. And how do you do that? What's the first test? Doctrine. What's the second test? Obedience. What's the third test? Love. Those are the tests that you do. Do they love the church? Do they love one another? Do they care about being obedient to what God says? And do they believe that Jesus is the Son of God? He is the, he is the, the fully God and fully man. Do, do they believe that? That's the test that we test them with. Make sure, he says. For, he says, and to see whether they're from God or not. Either this category, or, he's always talking about categories, right? He's, he's putting them in one, one column or another. Because there's many prophets, and Jesus said this, there's going to be so many people prophesying in my name and casting out demons in my name and, and doing all kinds of things in my name. But that doesn't mean I know who they are. That doesn't mean that they're from me. That doesn't mean that they're being led by the Holy Spirit. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 13. We go back to the Old Testament. I'm not going to go back to all the Old Testament passages that say this, but Deuteronomy 13 has a cool one. Verse 1, if a prophet, everybody there, we got to Deuteronomy 13. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or a wonder that he tells you comes to pass. Now, there are passages in the Old Testament that says, see what they say. If it comes to pass, but if it doesn't come to pass, here it says, there may be a time when it comes to pass. 
There may be a time when Nostradamus got it right. There may be a time when someone predicted the future and it happened. Does that mean they're divine? No, but they may be spiritual. But the wrong kind of spiritual. And the sign of the ill wonder that he tells you comes to pass. And if he says, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, let us serve them. See, there's that doctrinal test. You shall not listen to their words of that prophet or that dreamer or dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your soul. And you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments. So we see the test of love. We see the test of obedience. We see the test of doctrine, even in the Old Testament. And he is saying, Test the spirits. If these people are saying wonderful things and you're wowing them and everybody's just listening to them, that's another thing, right? If they fill an auditorium, that doesn't mean that they're telling you the truth. That doesn't mean that God has anointed them. That doesn't mean that they're doing anything good. It can mean that it's they're not doing good at all. Not believing in every spirit is a sign of maturity. It's not a sign of immaturity. It's a sign of maturity. It's testing the spirits. It's wondering and testing and going, is this from the Lord? By this we know, verse 2, the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, eh, that's the right answer, is from God. They belong in this column. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus is not from God, and this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now in the world already. This is what we are dealing with. This is what he is talking about. This is such a contemporary issue for us. Because, folks, we go to Christian bookstores, or we go to Barnes and Nobles, or any kind of bookstore, and we go into the Christianity section, or we go into the religious section, and we see so many choices. And whatever itch you have, there is somebody willing to scratch it. But the itch that we have is the only itch that we want Jesus to scratch because he is the one who gave it to us. When he changes our life, when the Holy Spirit comes into us and changes our understanding and actually turns our face toward him and gives us new birth, all of a sudden we got an itch, right? We got an appetite, right? We want to fill it with the right kind of food. We want the right person to scratch that itch. We just don't want anybody. But there's so many people who are going to these other people is because they're not from God. And because when they're not from God, they don't care who scratches their itch. It's up to them to decide or to feed them. They're cesspools. They'll do anything. They'll go anywhere. They'll accept anybody. And that's what's out there. And we got to be careful that those people do not get in to here. Right? That's why Nate and I talk about the library. We make sure we're going to go through this and make sure that we're not talking about going on a witch hunt and everybody that doesn't believe in everything that we believe in, 
but we want to make sure that the people that the right food is in there for you guys. Your parent, you're being parents, right? You don't want to feed your kids bad stuff. So Johnny, when you go over to the next door neighbor's house, you don't drink that Kool-Aid, and you don't eat their candy because you got to eat supper first, right? It's the same thing here. We're the spirit. We're the, the leadership of the church. This is why we're called. We care about what you eat. We want to know what you're eating because you may be enticed to just because people are quoting scriptures and talking about Jesus. They may be giving you bad food. And that's what makes me so bothered is that there are so many choices out there. And I'm not saying that there aren't mature people out there, but we all get duped. We all can be deceived. We can all have an itch that someday it's a personal itch, and we like it when sin scratches that itch for us. I know it works for me. It's enjoyable to have that sinful itch be scratched by somebody that's not going to judge me for it. But thankfully so, what happens? I get that emotion of my conscience bothering me. And I get that sense that this is, I should not be doing this. I should not be thinking this. I should not be looking at this. I should not be talking this way. I should not be killing people in the car when I'm driving to work in the morning. <laughs> I shouldn't be doing this. It feels good, Lord. They deserved it. <laughs> but you shouldn't be doing that, Jim. And I'm asking Jesus to forgive me all the way to my office. But folks, we're, it's out there. And it's out there in so many different ways. And it's, very, and it's not obvious because they don't have a church Bible study. Oh, today we're going to teach you heresies. And Satan's not going to say, or anybody's going to say, wow, this is really going to make you stink. This is really going to make, this is really going to make you, your clothes really soiled. This is really going to be bad for you. So why don't you come? No, it's, you're beguiled. It's a hook. It's like fishing. You put that worm on a hook. Right? You don't want that fish to know that he's going to be food. You don't want that fish to know that there's a hook on there. You put something enticing. He's hungry. You got the worm. They go biting for it. And that's where we need to be careful where we go and what we do. We're all, to, we're all at fault. We, some of us are worse than others. But that's why we need the family of God to help us, to encourage us, not to judge us. This is the place we come. Because we're, we can be tempted by so many. Here's... Here's a professor at Princeton. She writes a book, The Gnostic Gospels. And she's an author, she's an uh, expert in the, uh, the Gnostic Gospels of Mary and Judas and Thomas and the list of them all. And she believes that there was a prejudice against the church that they did everything they could to not use the gospel, the Gnostic gospels, to be a part of the canon or to be a part of the church, that it was from God because they were prejudiced. They didn't like women. They wanted to suppress women. They did all these things that she's talking about. So they put it in a jar and hid it. And then what? In the 1940s, somebody finds it in Egypt, and they're called the Nagamati gospels. Around the same time as the Dead Sea Scrolls. So there's a book out there called, you can get a book and, with, the, with the Gnostic Gospels in it and read them. But she's teaching 
that these should have been a part of the church's canon. And there was a bias and a prejudice against those because they, didn't, they, they had racial or, or feministic uh, hatred toward women, and they, didn't, they only wanted men being in power. They didn't want anybody, a strong Mary Magdalene, to be a part of this whole thing. So, I mean, and she's teaching us, and we got people reading this, and she says this, and they say, these are the comments. Okay. <clears throat> I had them organized, of course. Let's see if I can go back. It's in the terms... Yeah, I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> I knew this was going to happen. But you read this, it says, in there it says, the comments say, Oh, I had all these questions in my heart, in my mind for all these years while I was in the church and reading and reading about Christianity. But this has answered the questions of my life. I now know myself better and I know my God better from reading these Gnostic Gospels. Whether you call it Gnosticism or whether you call it something else, it's light to me now. Boy, doesn't that sound so much of what John is talking about here? And that's real. That's out there. That's being taught. You can see her on YouTube. And she's there and she's teaching in churches. She's at a church in Boston. I don't know what church it was. She's at a church in Boston. Who knows? Could be, you know, Unitarian. I have no idea. But she's teaching out there and snarky and, and smug and judging the church and the Bible because we don't have these things. And you can see why we don't have these in here because of the prejudices of their early church. And then there's somebody else here. I know this one's going to come up because I can see it. Here's a, I'll read. The name of the book is How Jesus Became God. And it says this. Jesus was a lower class Jewish preacher from the backwaters of rural Galilee. This man teaches at Duke. Who was condemned for illegal activities and crucified for the crimes against the state. Yet not long after his death, his followers were claiming that he was a divine being. Eventually they went even further, declaring that he was none other than God, Lord of heaven and earth. And so the question, how did a crucified peasant come to be thought of as the Lord who created all things? How did Jesus become God? Because he believes that he's not God, and he, he gives you a very well thought out argument that he's just a person who was given this title and believed that he was God. Now this man was an evangelical. This man believed in the Bible. He believed in the church. He believed that he was born again. He believed all this stuff, and then he just went, what a bunch of baloney. Then we have something else here that is, I'm not a person, I don't ever bring up politics from the pulpit, because I don't believe they belong here, but this person is in politics. This person is running for president of the United States, and before she did, she is a spiritual guru, and I've been talking about her for decades because she is a person who is just a person who is just bringing up these 
spirituality that sounds so cool that here is this, here is this the, the test of all tests. She is Oprah's spiritual guide. So if that doesn't answer the question for you of what kind of stuff she's teaching. But here I've, I've looked up, her name is that Marion Williamson. Now you've seen how she's going up, she's going up in, in uh, uh, popularity. You can see people, you know, people putting out signs saying they want to you know, give her some more money and give her more support and support her because they want her to be in the next round of Democratic uh, debates. And you notice how she was there and she's talking about the darkness of Trump and she's talking about love can solve all these problems. All those spiritual terms that Justin Deering is saying, isn't she cool? Isn't she great? Talking about how love can solve everything. And you can vote for her. I don't care because I'm not telling you how to vote. But I'm just telling you, before she was this, she'd been this. And this person, uh, she writes... Uh, about her, this is person from uh, one of the major newspapers. I got this out. She is a, a disciple of a book uh, called A Course of Miracles by a, um, a woman named Helen Shookman, a, a, research, a research psychologist in Manhattan who believed herself to be transcribing the words of Jesus. A Course in Miracles tells readers that reality is an illusion. And that by changing their perception of it, they can alter their circumstances and achieve astonishing things, personally and professionally. And here is uh, uh, one person's a person who wrote a book. I looked it up. It calls a place a place at the table. I found it on Amazon. And he was a spiritualist, and he interviewed, he interviewed Billy Graham, and, and he interviewed all these different people from what, just as a spiritual pilgrimage to figure it out. And, and the title of the book, I hope I didn't delete that one, is this. Um, A journey to discover the real Jesus with the guidance of various teachers. And in this book, this man had an interview with Marion Wilson, Marian Wil uh, Williamson, and he asked her these questions. Who, or who was or is Jesus? Jesus was a human being who, while on earth, completely self-actualized and fulfilled in all ways the potential glory that lies within all of us. He became one of the essence and Christ spirit that is in all of us. In that sense, he is our evolutionary elder brother. He demonstrated our destiny. Oh, can't you just feel it? Can't you just get the feeling of, of how how depressed you've been all your life and what you couldn't wait for is this woman to tell you who Jesus is? But they're out there, and why are they writing it? Why are they caring? And why are they attracted? It's because they're from the world. That's why. The world doesn't know Jesus. It doesn't know him. It doesn't know us. And that's what John is saying here. He don't, they don't know him. They don't know you, and they don't know him. And why? Because what does Paul write in, in 1 Corinthians? He says, the spiritual things cannot be perceived by a natural mind. And until God turns our heart and turns our head, we will never discern spiritual things. But that's why the world goes after him, because the world is not 
a follower of God, nor does they do they care about what the Bible teaches. She says this, the only thing lacking any situation is our awareness of love. And Jesus realized and taught that Jesus is a personal symbol of the Holy Spirit. Having been healed by the Holy Spirit, Jesus became one with him. Every thought, action, deed of Jesus was guided by the Holy Spirit instead of ego. His, he's not the only face of the Holy Spirit takes on. He is a face. To think about Jesus is to think about and bring about perfect love inside. Jesus actualized the Christ mind and was then given the power to help the rest of us reach that place within ourselves. Now, why, why I bring this up is because, not because I don't think she's going to get anywhere near the White House, but with an awareness of her now, with her being on the, in the forefront, with her being in the news, with her being beginning popularity, people are going to start reading this stuff again and be deceived and not understand who Jesus is. That's the thing that irritates me and bothers me. And then I pray that that wouldn't happen. But there's this now, this resurgence of people being attracted to her and the slop that she's peddling. Little children, you are from God. Now notice verses 5 and 6. These pronouns, you, meaning all of us, are from God and have overcome those who are prophets and false teachers. And what does he mean by that? He means that you guys still believe. He means that we are still holding on to the truth of God. We are still holding on because the Holy Spirit has turned our hearts and changed our hearts. Because what does Jesus, John, uh, Paul write to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12? He says, you cannot even call Jesus Lord without the Holy Spirit in your life. It can't happen. So he is saying by you... Running to Jesus, believing in Jesus, he says that is showing that you have the Holy Spirit within you and is working. That's why you have conquered them. You have overcome them. You have not caved in to their temptations. For he who is in you is greater than the world. And John and Paul writes in Philippians, right? He who began a good work in you will see it to completion. That means that if we are the elect of God, if God has chosen us before the foundations of the world, we cannot fall in to that temptation because God will not allow us to. He will save us to the very end. Now, that doesn't give us the right to go you know, swim in a septic tank either. He means, he tells us to be discerning. Test the spirits. What did Paul write in, I mean, what did Luke tell us in the book of Acts? He said, he says to the church in Ephesus, he says, I got to tell you, when I leave, there are going to come within your own midst people who are going to be wolves in sheep's clothing. And you know, wool, that can be just so nice and fluffy and squishy and feels so good. But inside is a wolf, he says. And that's where John says, these people were with us, but they're not with us anymore because they never were with us from the beginning. They have never been with us. They have never been called by God. They have never been chosen by God. Because Jesus said, I have not lost anyone that you have given me. So that means that we have eternal security. We cannot lose our salvation. 
But again, that doesn't give us the right to lay back and to be dumb and stupid and to read everything we want to without discernment. I'm not telling you not to look at these things. I'm telling you not to look at these things as options. And you know what? You're going to be exposed to these. People are going to, you know, people that you live near and people in your family are going to be exposed to these things. We need to be able to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. Correct? He says, they are from the world. Notice this, this plural pronoun. Verse 5. He says, you. And then he says, they are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world. And the world listens to them. That's why the world flocks to them. That's why when you, I could go to work and open up one of her books and read it, and they may not believe it, but they're going to go, wow, that sounds really interesting. That sounds really cool. But when I've already had this discussion and argument, a heated discussion, that Jesus is the only way for salvation, how arrogant can you be, Jim? How heartless and mean can you be? That can't be God. I said, how do you know who God is? You don't even care about him. You don't even read the Bible. What are you telling me about God? And then he says here, we, this is the clincher, verse 6, we, meaning not us, but the we of the apostles. He belongs to the, 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 the school of the apostles here. Those who have written the Revelation and the Bible that we have, remember, in, in uh, Ephesians, it says that the, the building of the church is upon the foundation and the teachings of the apostles and the prophets. So that's where we, they, they've received the word of God. Paul and Peter realized that when they were writing, they were writing scripture. And he says, we are from God, Paul, uh, John writes, and he's talking about all the, all the apostles that came before him. And he says, Whoever knows God listens to us. Now, that sounds pretty arrogant. Listen to me, because I'm right and you're wrong. Well, that's what people will say. But it's not from the Bible, because it says that it is the Holy Spirit that moved these men along to write the very words of God, breathed out by God. Peter tells us, and, and Paul writes us in Timothy. So he is saying here that whoever knows God, listens to us, the apostles. They don't look anywhere else. They go to the New Testament. They go to the prophetic writing of the Old Testament. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error, right? You either, if you do not care about what the Bible teaches, he says it's the spirit of error. If you don't care about who Jesus is, if it makes no difference in your life, if you don't care about any of these things, you're on the wrong side. But if, you're, if you do care, then you can find confidence, and then you find encouragement. And last, I just want to bring you to this passage, which I think is, is very important, and it's uh, <clears throat> 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where... John writes, excuse me, where Paul writes about this Antichrist or this man of lawlessness to come. And he says here, um, do you, verse 5 of chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians. Chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians, beginning with church, uh, verse 5. Do you not remember then when I was still with you, I told you of these things? And you know that what is restraining him now, the man of lawlessness, so that he may be revealed in his time. 
For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of Jesus' coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all the powers of false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe in what is false in order that they may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And this is what I want you to hold on to. And this is why he wants us to hold on to this as well. When he writes this, and John writes this as well. He says this, But we ought always to give thanks to the Lord for you. We ought, we ought, always, we ought always do give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you, to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in truth. It's the work of the Spirit of God that we believe in the truth. This is what should bring us encouragement. If we care, then we have the assurance and confidence that we are God's children. To this he called you through our gospel, the gospel of the apostles, which is ultimately the gospel of God, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, so then, brothers, stand firm and hold true to the traditions that you were taught by us, that meaning the teaching of Scripture, either by our spoken word or by our letter. And now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. John, uh, Paul gives this almost benediction-like ending to that paragraph because he wants them. Yes, the man of lawlessness is coming. Yes, there are many lawless people out there now. Yes, John says the Antichrist is coming. But he says, you have overcome this because God is working in your life and has given you confidence in knowing what you believe in. Knowing that you cannot go to anyone else Peter uh, says, Jesus, where else can we go? You are the one who gives us eternal life. There is no one else to go to. And folks, if you believe that, then that's the assurance that John wants you to have. That's what God wants you to believe in. Yes, when you find yourself discouraged, when you find yourself being bombarded by the things going out in the world, realize that God is sovereign and God is control and God has you in the palm of your hand. And Isaiah tells us that God has engraved us in his hand and no one can take us out of it. I want you to believe that so much this week. Because I have no idea what God is going to do in your life or my life this week. And we're going to need this confidence. We're going to need to be able to stand firm when we find this, these things happening in our life. Whether they be so great or whether they be so dark. The only thing that's going to protect us is that we stand firm in the truth of God. And that truth is from God himself through the Holy Spirit. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for your 
Your word that sustains time and never fades, never perishes. It is a word that is with us for all eternity. It's your eternal word. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the assurance of knowing that these are the words of life. These are not our lives now that are best, but these are the the things that matter most to us now is knowing that we will be with you eternally. And it is, gospel is not worried about what and how we live our lives every day. Yes, it is worrying about how we do that to glorify you, but that's not the gospel. It is not telling us how to live our lives better so that we enjoy our lives now. This word, the gospel tells us, Lord, that we are given this gospel so that we believe that we have eternal life and that we can stand firm in knowing that we do not despair in what can come our way. And so, Lord, though there be, angel, there be enemies and devils all around us, we realize that God is greater who is in us than he that is in the world. So we thank you for that word today, Lord, and pray that you would bless us by increasing our faith and doing this together in this church at Hope. Let us desire, Lord, to grow in your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We ask the ushers to come forward now as we take up our offering.